Welcome to the Story Discovery Podcast. I'm your co-host, J.W. McAteer. Coming up, you'll hear a new story from our free online publication, Etched Onyx. Please join me and co-host, Melissa Collings, after the reading, when we talk with the author about their work and all things writing and otherwise. The Story Discovery Podcast is sponsored by Scrivener, the go-to app for writers of all kinds, used every day by best-selling novelists, screenwriters, nonfiction writers, and more. Think of Scrivener as the Swiss Army knife of writing apps. You can use just the parts you need, like the distraction-free writing view, or you can break out all the tools to plan, organize, research, and create your work. When you're done, you can easily export to multiple document, manuscript, and ebook formats. Our listeners get a 20% discount by using the coupon code STORYDISCOVERY at checkout. You can learn more at their website, literatureandlatte.com, or just type Scrivener into your search engine. Give Scrivener a try. You won't regret it. This podcast and all related materials are a production of Onyx Publications. All stories are copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Today, we have five poems written by Lila Rudishauser and narrated by Melissa Collings. Settle in and enjoy. Five poems by Lila Rudishauser. Losing Singularity. CEOs and worn out professors blur by, treading pavement blackened by gum and dog piss each distinguished and utterly indistinguishable. I catch eyes with one and forget his face. Starlings scooting brazenly down the pavement stand out like cairns on a trail. Like most remnants of this city, they have been made and remade. My uncle once told me, sprinkle a little salt on the wings, it'll keep them still. I wanted to hold a bird in my palm. I almost did once. She flew into the attic where we kept the marble slide and cowbells and the other reasons to remain a child. My sister was cunning and found her perched in the corner. She grasped her delicate wings and launched her out the window as I cried. And once, when I piped up at dinner, that masses of birds in flight make the sky look dirty, my family peered down at me across the table as though I'd just peeled my face in half on a whim. My sister rang out right on cue. Birds have the right to fly, you idiot. I was never questioning the presence of birds in flight. I only sought the substance in their clouded wings lacing together. How they saturate the sky in a swarming doily. But romanticism is apt to make a fool of herself. I wonder how the little princess learned to string phrases into pearls without receiving a single would you kindly shut the fuck up? Now I long for a fruited turn of phrase, which is always sucked behind the lips of the speaker and flows only between the silent nooks of feathered wings. Doll's House My mom is crying, huddled on the ground. I gaze down and purse my lips, blink hard. The kitchen floor is smooth with waxy slats 
of pine, lined and merciless rows, so rude to refuse to open their mouths for me to slip beyond their teeth and glide down tongues through dark, if only to be so far from here. She slumps beneath my arm, big gasps, because that damn dollhouse, that damn dollhouse, which I don't give a damn about. So sorry, she shudders, for shingles she lined and glued and painted soft brown. I wanted bright blue, my friends had blue, before I learned that pastel hues are more demure and last. I think, how strange that now these roles reverse. Her skin's grown frail as a goat's underbelly, and mine has toughened outside in. I sit like a walnut. She cries. I crack. My fingers red from ruler wraps. She lacquered the knuckle snaps of wood brushed like kisses across my skin. Worship I have learned, unlearned, that she clutches in secret. Denied, denied. She wants me blue, but then she balks when I am crass and bristles to hear my damn motherfucker shit bitch fuck. I'm not a lady, Mom. You wish I was. My roof sprouts joyous, unshackled in mosses and leaves. I tried to lay it straight. It's caving in. I tried to tack the shingles on. They fall. You dress me up with rosy cheeks. I squirm. As children, we spent our summers in Switzerland. I can't remember when I last walked that path, strewn with dry grass and edelweiss. You blew a blade until it cried. I busied myself with the flowers, white and pale yellow. You taught me to pluck petals from amethyst clovers and suck their honeyed promises. I, a hummingbird, still flit from pistol to pistol, wondering who looks at whom when our eyes meet. We walked through nettles to fill our crimson buckets with blackberries, hardly ripe, red-green and tart. I ventured out first, alone. You don't like birds, do you? It's presumptuous to be delicate. Fragility asks too much. And when we ran back to the wooden sink and you turned the spout so it shrieked ice water over the maroon splotches that bloomed across my arms, Still I looked at you, and offered you my pail. You know why humans can't fly. We burn ourselves in grandeur. I thought, maybe, your delighted purple-stained smile would seep into my skin and glow the stinging out of my pores. I wept for three days when you left. How foolish to do it only after. I wonder if you recall how I stood at that sink long after you'd gone. You'd gone. Watching water trickle down the plush of my forearms, with your rushed commandment resounding in my ears. Don't tell Dad. And no one will save you now. Subliminal. Sweet boy, he looks up. Something in his eye is a paper kite. Weightless, lofty. Each aggression done unto him 
is so poignant, his eyes are water. He's sucking his fingers as if they could love him. Soft boy, bare feet, wrinkled nose. His hand twitches into mine like felt. I watch toddlers fall asleep every day. I know their movements, how to tell when they start to slip and drop into plush dark. The eyes roll around in their sockets. Magnetic lids waver and worm until they close. How do I begin to describe that close? It's every time I drink mint tea and chocolate-topped cookies without worrying about the softness of my belly, the rumble of a nighttime drive, Cat Stevens humming in the background. It's water in Connecticut, gray skyline a blur, naked trees shivering with intensity, cattails blown like promises onto frozen water. Ice fishermen trudge there every morning, hunting anything tucked in those sunless waters. This is a warm memory, always the resolute anticipation of a fireplace. I was not scaly, floating in that lake, chest rising and falling easily. I sprung gills. Softness betrays me. Now I am so awake and so little aware. Each day for these children is a moment. I almost believe I've made them up, these little lumps in brightly colored sleep sacks. I think I'll shrink my hands, submerge my palms in brackish water, watch them wrinkle until they fit in my mouth. Small hands know better how to hold on to life. My fingers are bulky, awkward nails with crusted life stuffed between the cuticles. So here I sit, with a blank head and cruddy fingernails and some arbitrary stuff in between. I am not what I remember being. My lips are chapped from nursing so-called bones to life. I am too young to tell muscle from tissue from marrow. I want to suck a peach. Something about that plumpness. Noah. Vivi has shrieked nonstop, always with that same vague bovine smile, and those two protruding bottom teeth of hers, those two little teeth. Waking Noah early again. I didn't pay much attention to her then. Jack was whimpering on my lap, his tinny voice intermingled with bits of Hey Jude, which he thinks is named for his brother perpetually whimpering for Mama, who pays 15k minimum for him to be here. But now I near Noah with the teacher's aid script, ask if she wants a hug, inadequacy elasticizing the word. Her nod is barely perceptible under a matted and sleep-sweaty scalp. She's so tired. She tucks herself into me just so, like she hasn't decided whether she really wants to do it. There is nothing for her, only that we do not understand. The depth of this pain, this pain, harm carved in the premature curves connecting the sides of her nose to her pinched chin, that mouth like a puckered fruit confused by its own conception. I want to tell her about water, fresh water, ponds where alkalinity hints at bitterness. Only because bitterness is so obviously absent that the tongue dreams figments to take its place. I want to tell her about frogs, about families that are not the same. 
I don't want her to think about salt. Her cheeks, they're so hydrated. Look at them, plump and fresh and honeyed. Sallow has no place nestled among these words. Another teacher chirps my cue to go on in syrupy falsetto. Why are you crying, Noah? It's almost time for snack. Only I know, she knows. Fuck this snack. Fuck your snack, your fucks, your pain, you damned overgrown homunculus. You don't know my depths, this pain, this fucking pain. Only she doesn't have the words. She has no words. She could speak a year and didn't. Her voice still raspy from months of stymied silence. And on my path, past knee-height tables, she rings our ears with her screams. You've just listened to several poems by Lila Rudishauser. And as usual, we have her on the show today to talk about her poetry and life in general. And we are so happy to have you on the show, Lila, and um, glad that you submitted your poem. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. And as always, um, we also have our co-host, the wonderful and amazing narrator of all of our, uh, most of our stories and poetry, Melissa. Welcome. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Hello. <laughs> All right. Usually when we kick off, we just like the writers or the poets to go ahead and get, tell us about yourself a little bit. Give us some background. Yeah. Um, I am a student in some ways. Um, I've taken a little bit of time off recently. Um, for the last year, I've worked in a nursery school. Um, obviously, love to write poetry. I love cognitive science and dance and all sorts of artistic things. Mm, that's great. Well, and um, several of these poems, I, I'm sure our, our listeners will understand, are definitely related to your experience at preschool. Very much so. Yeah, I would write a lot during nap times. And so even if I was writing about a subject that was completely different, they would worm their way in there somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fascinating. That we write about what we're around, I think, what we see. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and one of the questions, I don't know if this was a question that we sent you in advance or not, um, but I was very curious to see is because, you know, you're around sort of these burgeoning souls, these, uh, you know, little people that are, the world is all new to them, you know, does that, would you say that it informs the way you see your poetry and or writing in mm. general? That's a very poetic way of phrasing the question. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Burgeoning souls. Yeah, very nice. beautiful. I need to yes. steal that. Um, <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I think it absolutely had an effect. Um, I think that most of the time, what I was really writing about was just the juxtaposition of our different experiences of the world. Um, I've always been a really nostalgic person. And so seeing all of this innocence and wonder was delightful. And at the same time, I couldn't help but um, compare my own experience as a young adult, um, as a person who's like gone through types of pain that just aren't recognizable when you're at such a young age. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. So tell us about these poems. Talk a little bit about what inspired them and kind of your atmosphere, things like that. What's your favorite thing about them? Yeah, well, most of these poems 
have to do with, you know, what I was just talking about, time, temporality, um, trying to go back and relive something and um, the just blatant fact that that's really impossible. Um, mm. But it's a nice thing to be able to access through writing. Mm-hmm. So um, I know that there were a couple that I wrote about very specific memories, like Doll's House is absolutely that. As children, we spent our summers in Switzerland is very much based around one specific memory. Hmm. Um, and then some of the other poems during, right before the pandemic, I started taking poetry workshops. Um, and some of the other poems were ones that I had worked on in those workshops. Um, and so luckily I had somebody to give me a prompt, which was very, very nice. <laughs> Always helpful. Yes. <laughs> helpful. Um, and so using singularity was just looking out a window and writing down um, stream of consciousness. Um, I would sometimes have a kind of similar journaling technique called shitty first draft where you just <laughs> write out everything you're thinking without editing and it can be really, really freeing. That's um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And then the last couple of poems um, are pretty much directly. I was in the nursery. It was nap time. I was seeing these kids and finally had a moment to myself where I could write a little bit. Um, and like you said, Melissa, you know, we write about our surroundings. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love that. And what you said reminds me of something. This, these are poems for you. It's almost like, um, a word photography or mm. a word portrait. My my website that I created was um, is called The Word Portrait, and it speaks to exactly kind of what you're talking about is you use this moment in time and you capture it where somebody might capture it with a photograph. You're capturing it with words and you're remembering these, these moments in life. Yeah. And I think that is great. I think that is really cool way of looking at this and it's a a piece of you in that moment yeah I think that's an incredible power that poetry has it's like painting or dancing you can express things and it's not like a scientific formula you can just put something onto the page and create a new sense yeah no rules right I love it it's cool Well, you mentioned in the background materials that you sent us that, you know, even though you took a break from school, you kind of created your own poetry or reading syllabus to explore poetry. And I'd be curious to see, I'm sure our listeners might be able to learn from this too. You know, what what did you choose? And tell us about that a little bit. My favorite thing is going into used bookstores and going straight to the poetry section and just Hmm. finding whatever I can. There are so many golden nuggets. It's fantastic. Um, (laughs) I have been able to find a lot by Edward Hirsch and Lee Young Lee and um, just C.K. Williams, so many wonderful poets. And it's really nice because money can be difficult, and sure, especially sure, if you're writer, pursuing this profession. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yes. Um, and so just being able to, it's like going on a treasure hunt and being able to discover I don't know, like I'll, I'll find some Walt Whitman and I'll find some Judy Grand. And um, even though I don't have that full poetry education that I'm hoping to get in mm-hmm. the coming years, 
um, I can still get all of that exposure and learn about it and soak it in for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Reading other people's work as a lesson in and of itself. Oh, it absolutely is. Yeah. When you, when you go into the bookstores, so these are books you're purchasing these, or do you ever just sit there and just like, just grab a random person maybe you've never heard of and just search through? You know, in pre-pandemic times, I did. <laughs> now, <laughs> now when I go into a bookstore, it's pretty much I try to go in and out as quickly right. as I can. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Things um, are in, different now. In a perfect world, in a perfect place, I would grab a book, sit down in a comfortable chair, and just stay there forever. Yeah. Yeah. Surrounded by books. So that's mm-hmm. nice. Mm-hmm. So your life experience compared to someone like me (laughs) has been around a lot longer (laughs) um are you inspired to write stories from what you read or where does the story come from i think that or at least i hope that in my poetry i tend to be acutely aware of my age um and the fact Mm -hmm. that there is so much life that i haven't experienced um i often feel a little uncomfortable stepping into somebody else's shoes or trying to show someone else's experience because of that fear of getting it wrong. Hmm, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I look forward to seeing my own poetry develop and change as I understand the world better. Um, but also, I've been writing poetry for a long time, but I really started a couple of years ago when I left school and started having experiences outside of the academic agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even though I am (laughs) quite young and in a lot of ways very inexperienced, um, I went through a lot of difficult things in that period that made me feel like I understood the world around me much better. And that inspired me to start writing about them. Um, That's great. And I don't, I didn't mean to um, diminish your writing or your experience. Oh, no, in any not way, at all. Not any at way, all. So, yeah. And for yeah. our listeners, you are 22, correct? Uh, I am 20. I will turn 21. You're 20. Yes. Okay. I'll turn 21 in a few days. <laughs> you're, you're younger than I thought, but that's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so I think that, having your poetry, everybody has different experiences. And Mm -hmm. I always say that I was born old. I don't think I was ever really young. (laughs) I think I was born old. So everybody's different. And I think capturing exactly where you are, you should never make apology for Mm -hmm. what you haven't experienced Mm -hmm. or, or anything like that, because what you bring to the table and you're at your 20 years, everything you experience, experience is different. And not only could you have maybe experienced more than a 40 or 50 year old in your short amount of time, depending on what your circumstances are, you could have experienced a lot. But that view is very interesting. A 20 year old eyes, you know, with with the experiences that you've had thus far, the experiences that you have yet to have. I mean, I can just tell just from talking to you, it's really interesting to get your take. But I think that's the beauty of a young person's writing, you know, where you get to 
you get to see your thoughts during this time. So I think that no, don't ever make apologies for, yeah, for writing. I, yeah, I agree. And, and um, I think it's wise to understand your limits in, in trying to get into someone else's shoes, you know, when you're writing a story or something along those lines. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, after I said the question, I realized it didn't sound all that great. <laughs> That's not no, what I meant at all. Fine. No, it's, no, it's absolutely all right. And I think it's a very good question. Um, and Melissa, I think you're totally right. There is a lot of value to be, to be able to see different people's perspectives, especially from different ages. I wish the kids that I was working with for the past year could write because all I want is to be able to see inside their heads. And it's such a wild thing that we've all been that age. We've all been through those stages, but we don't remember memory is, yeah, memory is a very, very faulty thing. Yes. Right, right. Someone recently was, I was listening to somebody read a piece that they wrote and they were writing it from a young person's perspective, though they were, I think they were in their fifties. And then there was an older person in the story. And she said, I didn't really, I didn't want to do it from the older person's perspective because I haven't been there yet, but I've been younger. So when you, when somebody reads some, a younger person's work, you have that nostalgia and, or you can, re- you can recall, you have that relatability. Like I was there once and I experienced those things. So I, I think that's a great thing too. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we look for in the poetry we read so much, just that immediate feeling of empathy. Yes. Mm-hmm. So are you solely writing poetry or do you explore other mediums? Right now, I've just been writing poetry. I would really like to be able to write in other mediums. I'd love to work on prose a little bit. Um, It is a little more daunting, though, just because (laughs) poetry, it's so nice. You can write just a few lines, and there it is. You have something. You've created something. Um, Mm -hmm. I tried to start writing a memoir and... Maybe in five or ten years, I'll feel I'll have amassed enough to actually get it moving. Um, but I do find other forms much more intimidating. Interesting. Now, you know, some people find poetry intimidating. Right. It is really interesting to f- see the different perspectives, just as everybody's different. Some people think it's much easier writing a story versus putting those feelings I feel like there's so much so many feelings that go into poetry you know Mm -hmm. that raw emotion and they're scared of that raw emotion that goes into poetry yeah everybody's mind works in a different way oh yeah Mm -hmm. well how do you capture ideas for your poems do you carry around a a book do you will you be doing something and then have an idea kind of pop into your head that you want to say for later or do you just sit down and it all comes out It depends. I always do carry around at least one notebook. There have been times where I've had maybe four or five um, in a backpack, um, all for different things. And if I don't have any paper with me, it's just going straight onto my arm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So you always carry a pen? (laughs) I always have a pen. I always have a pen. And the real question is whether I'm getting ink poisoning or not. (laughs) Um, Excellent. Yeah, so I'm very impressed by anyone who has a very specific writing regimen, you know, who sits down once a day and just writes out in a very organized way. Um, I have a style that's much more sporadic. Um, Mm -hmm. Whenever 
I think of a very specific phrase or more likely am in a specific place or have something that I need to process, it needs to happen right that second. Because hmm. if I don't write it down or I don't catalog it in some way, I feel like the emotions aren't there. It's kind of like doing a monologue. You need to be present to yes. really have it work. I 100% agree. Mm. I will. There are some moments where like right before I get out of the bed or right when I lay down or something like that, where it's like, you're just almost too tired to get up. I have these moments of just clarity where everything just flows through and you think, well, I'm going to be getting up in 20 minutes and you hold on to the idea. Now I always, I've learned now not to do that, but in that moment, if, if you just take that moment and write it down right there, you capture so much more because later I try to recreate that same moment of clarity that I had and it's not there anymore. The words are still there or some of the words, but it's not the same. It's not mm. the same. And I feel like I've lost something. So I think 100% agree. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So I don't need pen and paper. I just need to carry a pen and start writing on my arm. No, please don't. <laughs> it's horribly bad for you. <laughs> well, plus then um, can't people just kind of randomly read poetry on your arms? That would be interesting. That's true. Yeah, I do. I get a lot of questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. The trick is to have messy enough handwriting so that they can only see scribbles. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Or you could have your own code, you know, you could write mm. in code. Yeah, very interesting. Yes. But yeah, yeah, I probably won't write on. We've talked about this before, where a notebook or being able to type it out on the phone, which isn't the same. I can't type it as fast. I've tried that recently. I've tried to put ideas into my phone, but I write faster than I type, I think. Handwrite, that is, you mean? Handwrite. Yeah. Not, mm. not like, I'm not going to write a whole novel, you know, mm. on, on write it out as they used to do, I've heard in the past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but yeah, jotting those notes down are faster, I think a little bit more satisfying. Yeah, I've never been able to use the notes app. Everything that I've tried to write on my phone has been awful. <laughs> Yeah, there's mm. something about that. Isn't that strange? Yeah, there's something nice about the like tactile use of pen and paper. It stays yeah. with you. Her pen to skin. Well, <laughs> a pen to skin, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, the voice apps? I, I have heard many writers who dictate, you know, and then come back later and convert it. Mm-hmm. I've, I think that I've done that a couple of times. Usually one of two things happen. Either I'll forget that I had dictated it and <laughs> yeah. it's just gone into the ether or i'll think that i'll have just recorded something brilliant i'll think i'm a <laughs> genius for whatever i did and i'll go back and listen to it and be like what was i thinking mm-hmm. you know it's the most basic idea whatsoever <laughs> that is hilarious i've had the same thing happen to me i've been in the car and i, I recorded something i was like oh this is gonna be great and then, you know, I do kind of like you, I'd forget about it. I come back to it later and I play it and I think, oh, what is this garbage? You know, why did I even put that? Why did I record that? So. <laughs> or if it's text to, or speech to text and the phone gets the words completely wrong. And it's like, uh, what? I did not write anything about cabbage, you know. <laughs> uh, too funny. Or maybe that is, maybe it was cabbage and it was brilliant. But Well, maybe those moments of clarity aren't so clear after all is really the the scary part for me when i'm in that zone i'm not actually in any zone i'm just in my own zone you're just a doofus (laughs) exactly (laughs) Exactly. 
So what about your family? I, there was one of your pieces has a parent in it. Do they, uh, do you let them read your poetry? What do they think about you writing? Or do you even tell them? My dad is a big supporter of my writing. Um, it's really, really wonderful. And I feel very lucky to have uh, that kind of parental figure in my life. Um, they've all made it into my poetry at some point, <laughs> my sibling, my dad, and my mom. And so I... I have to be a little hesitant sometimes with what I show them. Um, my sibling and my mom definitely haven't seen as much of my poetry. I tend to be a little bit private about my work. I'm very okay with strangers reading it. Yeah. But somehow mm-hmm. it's a lot more difficult to show the people who you are close to or the people yeah. who you really care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Do you have a first reader? Probably my dad. It's also hmm. a nice ego boost because I know that whatever I show him, he's going <laughs> to exactly. think well, it's great. He's my dad. He has to. It's in the contract. Right. It is in the contract. Right. <laughs> so what do you like to do when you're not writing? I love to dance. Um, I did ballet for several years, um, though it's very harsh on the body. and That's, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. It's, I've heard that. I had so many different injuries, and which I'm in some ways still recovering from. Um, but that's why poetry is such a wonderful release, because ballet is just this extremely principled thing. There are hmm. so many rules, and you're trying to strive for perfection every time. You have to be so hard on yourself to do it. And poetry, you can write something down, and it doesn't need to be amazing at first it can be terrible and that's completely okay and I love that freedom um but yeah I've been going into contemporary dance a little bit more doing a lot of different things yeah I also at different points in my life I've acted and sang and um done visual arts I craft a lot (laughs) oh yeah yeah what do you like to craft Oh my goodness. I love to make quilts. I love to crochet. I I really look forward to being like 70, 75. <laughs> I think I think that's when I'll be in my prime and early bedtime just knitting in front of a fireplace, bright pink hair. That's all Excellent. I'd like really. <laughs> that sounds great. But for our listeners, your hair's not pink now. I mean, shoot, you can do that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have to wait. I have to wait until it's eccentric. I see. Mm-hmm. Ah, you're right. Mm. It would not be eccentric right now, but yes. Exactly. Though I did have a patient. She had blue hair. She was in her 70s, and she was rocking that hairstyle. And I loved seeing that. She was spunky. She always wore these big earrings, skin-tight leopard print pants. She was a character. <laughs> and she came in, and it was so fun treating her because she came in with that little, her little accent, and so that it makes me think of her. You don't see a lot of older ladies, um, how would you say that, just exhibiting their personality, you know? Yeah. Not being afraid to step out, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I see a lot of, I, you know, this is entirely from an outsider's perspective, but I feel like I see a lot of older women shrink themselves and I never want to do that. I want to get larger and larger as I grow. Oh, I love that. Good analogy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so can you, you know, one of the things that you told us in your bio is about a letter to the New York times or letter to the editor. 
<laughs> so I'd like to hear more yeah. about that. That sounds Thanks. fascinating. Tell us. <laughs> yes. Um, that is a letter that I submitted in my first year of college. I believe that it was in response to an article about girls outpacing boys in school, where I think that the author was saying that typically girls will work much harder and get a lot more stressed out, whereas boys will just kind of float along um, and do just what they need to get by and then be more successful in hmm. work. Um, and my response to that was essentially, why are we putting the onus on women to work less hard or change the way that we do things? Why shouldn't these boys just get on my level? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Which I, I stand by in some ways, but also <laughs> the ironic thing about that letter is that the advice that I was getting from that article was probably exactly what I needed at that time. I yeah. absolutely needed to learn how to be less perfectionistic. I needed to learn yeah. how to step back and understand that work isn't everything, that there are a lot of ways to live your life. And being an A student just is not quintessential. It's not. You miss yeah. out on so many other things. Um. Mm -hmm. And so I always have to laugh a little bit when I look back at that. <laughs> <laughs> you learn as you grow. You learn as you grow. And that's pretty amazing. I mean, um, it's still the New York Times and it is a letter to the editor, but they opted to put it in. So, you know, you've been published at a very young age already. Yes. 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 I got, I absolutely got very lucky. <laughs> no, that's not lucky. That's talent. You. <laughs> Thank that's... you. Talent, Thank you very yes. much. Well, I think you are wise beyond your years. And what you just said is something we can all learn from, no matter what age you are, is taking the time and not being a perfectionist. You don't have to be a perfectionist to be successful because actually it did, you have to redefine success, I think. That's so true. Honestly, being a perfectionist is probably what's held me back the most yeah. hmm. thinking that everything had to be on this academic timeline um yeah. i learned and grew the most when i was not in school yeah 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 well i mean it sounds like you made the right choice by stepping away and you know doing some exploring i think that's fantastic absolutely i feel like it should be really normalized for more people to do it yeah i agree that's probably that's probably wise as well mm-hmm I, I agree, too. A lot of times when we go through school, you, you have to choose something. When I, w when I went to school, I did not know what I wanted to do, but I just picked something. I ended up changing my major three times, mm -hmm. and that was because I was on that timeline. You know, I was given no time to really explore what, what I fit into or anything like that, and I think we'd probably have more successful people if we gave, some, gave everybody a little bit of time to explore and I have to be careful because I'll get on the soapbox of <laughs> what we learn in school and how it does not help us. So I'm not going to go there. But, <laughs> you know, it's like I, some of the practical stuff we miss. But, yeah, having that time to really see where you fit, I think you will fit better when you do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's such it's so specific 
to the United States. Mm -hmm. You know, the way that we do things here right now, I'm working at a camp that has um, a lot of Israeli staff. And it's so interesting because all of them have just finished their um, army service. And while all of the American staff are, you know, talking about majors and graduating college and going into their jobs, they're just traveling the world. And so many Mm -hmm. of them don't really know what they want to do yet. And they're, I don't know, around 24. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's such a wonderful thing to be able to develop as a person before you become viewed as just a worker. Yeah, Mm -hmm. what you're stuck in forever. Exactly, exactly. And the idea that you need to do one thing for your whole life. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, well, I think the generations that have come after us, anyway, have um, have kind of broken that. I don't think that's an issue as much anymore, anyway. I don't think that yeah. most people don't expect you to stay in the same career forever. Yeah, it's certainly so, getting better. Yeah, definitely. But I agree with Melissa 100%. Our education, we could have a whole show on that. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> no, it would go on for it's hours if we talked about oh, that. Yeah. For me, it would, yes. And I'd probably get heated, and I'd probably start yelling. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and yet you have little ones that are soon enough will be kind of in that mix. I know. My daughter starts kindergarten this very year. Oh, oh my goodness. Congrats <laughs> to her. That's a big step. Thank you. It is. It's a big it's, step for it's us It's a big both. step for mom too, right? <laughs> part of me is really excited and another part of me is like, let me just hang on to her and maybe I'll homeschool. Yeah. I'm not. I can't homeschool. <laughs> I'm not the homeschooling type. But but uh, yeah, I, I'm excited yeah. and scared at the same time. Great. Well, okay, so we're coming up on time here. Um, two two more questions, I guess. Uh, the first might be uh, the pandemic. So did that change the way you wrote or what you wrote about at all? Um, I think the circumstance had to change what I wrote about, the content um, that I wrote about, because life was just so different, and that always mm-hmm. has a way of sneaking itself um, into your poems. I mean, it's like your consciousness just comes out on the page. Um, But I also think in some ways it did make it harder to write. In one way, because when we were all just stuck at home, I feel like it was very easy to start writing and then just fall too deep into it. When you don't have anything else to do, I think that it's too easy to get stuck in your own thoughts. Mm -hmm. And then on the opposite end of things, there wasn't as much to write about because for me at least Mm -hmm. because there was less happening I would find myself just fixated on the same thoughts swirling around my head and I needed more external events Hmm. that makes sense makes total sense Mm -hmm. okay well then the last question uh, just to close out the show is we usually ask our, our writers for tips or advice about writing kind of about where you are and um what's your perspective on that my perspective is write as many shitty things as you can (laughs) (laughs) really truly i think that that's the best way to go about it just let yourself be a terrible writer sometimes because there will be a line here or a line there that's golden and then Mm -hmm. you can work off of that but Um, Maybe it's because of my own experiences with perfectionism, but it's a wonderful thing to be able to write a piece of trash as like (laughs) ridiculous as that sounds. Um, No, it's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It's really true. 
Yeah, it's the one time that you really truly get to be non-judgmental about yourself and that's incredibly valuable. Yeah. Wow. Quantity before quality. <laughs> and hopefully you get some quality out some of that, quality. you know, over time. Eventually, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> right. That really that's really great advice and um I think Melissa's right, you're an old soul. Yeah, yeah. that's that's pretty <laughs> Pretty, pretty wise. Great. Well, Lila, thanks so much for submitting your poems. Really enjoyed yes. reading them. Um, I felt kind of absorbed in them. Um, took us, in, took me to another world, and I, I appreciate that opportunity. And also, thanks for being on the show and you know sharing your thoughts with us and our podcast listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a delight to talk. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If so, please help us spread the word by telling your friends or giving us a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Those reviews really make a difference. We'd like to thank the folks at Literature and Latte, the makers of Scrivener, for sponsoring the podcast and providing an amazing tool for writers. If you'd like to take your writing to the next level and use a tool designed for writers by writers, then give Scrivener a try. What have you got to lose? The Story Discovery Podcast is a free, narrated podcast of the works that appear in Etched Onyx magazine. Edited by J.W. McAteer, all stories and poems are available for free at onyxpublications.com. That's O-N-Y-X publications.com. If you'd like to support the continuation of this podcast and or the magazine, please consider a small donation through Patreon at patreon.com slash Onyx Publications. As a nano publishing house, we are always looking for new works to showcase. If you'd like to submit a story or poem for consideration, please visit the submissions page on our website. In the meantime, keep reading and writing. <laughs>